our passage of Scripture this morning, I'd like to begin there's Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, the book, the first gospel in the way that we've ordered the books in our Bible, the first gospel is the gospel of Matthew, and it begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, notice that name, and, by Pe and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. I, by the way, that's in brackets because I added the name Bathsheba we know that she was the father of Solomon and she was previously the wife of Uriah. The point being that there are four women who are specifically named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And all four of those women are of dubious reputation or background. Why would... God see fit to inspire Matthew to include those four women unless there was something special about them and something special that he wanted to get across to us by including those shady ladies in the lineage of Jesus. Think about it that way. Ladies of questionable background maybe because they were foreigners, they were not Jews, uh, three of the four, um, maybe because of something that happened in their life. But, let me just give you the conclusion of the sermon from the beginning. God saw fit by His grace to do something great and lasting in their lives. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope that the grace of God is sufficient for anyone at any time. And so our series for the next month will be Shady Ladies in the Lineage of Jesus. Now I will confess that that is uh, sort of an unusual uh, title for a sermon, but I will warn you ahead of time that these are going to be unusual sermons. We're going to start with Tamar. And Tamar is a story of bad marriage, of sexual abuse, of being discarded, thrown away, and yet the courage to face that kind of life. Now, someone said that this sermon's going to be a PG-13 sermon. Uh, let's just say it's going to be a very practical sermon perhaps you know i thought about this sometimes preachers are called upon to preach dangerous sermons and if we are not willing to preach sermons that fit life as we live it today if we're not willing to preach dangerous 
sermons, maybe we need to turn in our Bibles or step up to the plate. I, I cut my teeth as a young pastor near about 100 years ago. Um, in my first church, first church I pastored, I, I cut my teeth on listening to Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, his radio program uh, I listened to every day, and it was entitled Insight for Living. And I thought about that title when I thought about this dangerous sermon about bad marriage, about divorce, about affairs, about sexual abuse. I thought about that insight for living. I believe in practical preaching, and I think that even in looking at the Old Testament, we need to look for practical application, insight for living from the Word of God. We're going to begin with Tamar, but um, I, I need to give you a warning before I even begin reading the, the Scriptures. And that is that these stories from the Old Testament are not necessarily meant to be morality plays for us to imitate. Rather, they are lessons for us to learn about how God works in people's lives. The other thing, and this is huge, please understand you cannot judge what happens in the Old Testament by the laws and by the culture of today. You have to judge what goes on and interpret what goes on in the Old Testament passages by pre-law, the time of the patriarchs, that's the time of Tamar, or by the Mosaic law, which came after the time of Tamar, and by the culture of that day. It might be easy for you to look at some Old Testament passages and say, well, that's not right. Well, it might not be right in our day, but it was different in that day. They were under a different set of rules, regulations, law, customs, and culture. Be very careful about imposing your ideas on them and judging them as if they live today. It's different. The other thing I need to say to you, and this may be offensive, can't help it. The Bible is the rule of righteousness. It is not the American Constitution. It is not the political correctness of our day. There is no higher standard for righteousness than the Word of God. Do not ever, my friend, say, well, that's not right because it's not thought to be right in our day or it's against the American Constitution. The American Constitution is not the highest rule of righteousness in the world. In heaven and in earth, the highest rule of righteousness is the Bible, the Word of God. Never forget that. Now, the story of Tamar. The story of Tamar begins with the grief of a bad marriage. Notice that it says, in Genesis chapter 38, if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 38, we're going to rush through the whole chapter. And Judah took a wife for Ur. Somebody said his name should have been Eror, not just Er, but Eror. <clears throat> uh, for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now, you understand that Tamar was 
a woman of the land. She was not a Jew. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now, I don't know what his error was. I don't know how he was wicked. Someone has suggested that perhaps that's the reason that she never had a child, that it was some sexual deviation. I don't know. That's just surmising. I do know she had no child. He was wicked and God put him to death. She was in a bad marriage. I, I was glad, I'm glad I got some teenagers here this morning. And I told them when all this is over, I want them on the front row because I enjoy preaching to teenagers. Uh, we got some singles here this morning. And I want to say to you, don't marry a jerk. Now, to Tamar's benefit, let me say, it was an arranged marriage. Judah chose her and arranged with her father to be married to Judah's son. By the way, if you're in an arranged relationship, you better hope your father has good taste. Just look at your mother to see whether... Anyway, don't marry a jerk. Never. Teens, are you listening to me? Never marry someone you cannot respect. I don't care if you're talking about you're a young lady and you're looking for a man. You better not marry a jerk. Somebody you'll never respect. If you're a young man and you're looking for a wife, uh, there, there are women who are jerks. And you need to be careful that you don't step into a bad marriage because you made a bad decision. You were not patient to wait on the right character of person and you married a jerk. Never marry someone you cannot respect. By the way, I also need to say, I told you this is going to be a dangerous sermon, okay? If there's a jerk in your marriage now, make sure you're not it. Boy, I didn't get, I got some laughter, but I didn't get many amens. Be careful about your marriage that you're not the problem. Lord, examine me. Examine my ways. See if there be any offensive way in me. Lord, I think it's appropriate to pray, Lord, through all of this that we're going through right now, help me not to be a jerk. What if you're in a bad marriage? Tamar did not leave the marriage. God got her out of it by killing her husband. Now, don't be praying. If you're in a bad marriage, don't pray for your marriage. Don't pray for God to kill your husband. And don't make any plans. I want to make it clear, God killed him. She didn't. You can go to jail for that. And don't say you've never been tempted. Even Billy Graham's wife one time was asked, did you never consider divorce? She said, divorce? Oh, no, never. Murder, yes, but divorce, no. Stay with the marriage. Trust God. Realize that God can redeem your bad marriage and give you a glorious future. You need to trust God. You can trust God even in the midst of a bad marriage. 
Tamar, I want you to notice the shame that she experienced, the shame of sexual abuse. Some of you never knew that this was in the Bible, but here it is. Judah said to Onan, go in to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, some of us are glad that that is not the custom today. But it was the custom in that day, and that even predates the law of Moses, and it was codified, it was ratified in the law of Moses, that if a man died, he had borne no children, his wife had had no children, the brother was to take the widow as a wife and bear children through her in the name of the dead brother. Notice that it says, "Do go into your brother's wife and perform the duty." Now, I got to tell you, Tim, if if that was the custom today, we'd better check out our sister-in-laws and warn our brother to make good choices in his marriage, just in case he dies and we have to take over. I mean, that could be scary. I got to tell you, that could be scary. The problem with this is that Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. Now I realize, parents, you're going to hate me for this because now you're finally going to have to have that conversation with your kids that you've been putting off for way too long. Okay? But what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death also. Now, you, I, I began that discussion by saying that was sexual abuse. Understand this. It was sexual abuse because the purpose of this marriage was purely to give her a child, and so that she could bear a child who would carry the name of the dead brother. Instead, Onan perverted the purpose of this union and kept her from having a child, and instead he lay with her for his own pleasure only. She got no benefit. She did not get the intended benefit of the relationship. And I need you to understand that even in your marriage today, when you ladies are being used, that is sex abuse. Even in marriage, sex without emotional intimacy and mutual caring is sexual abuse. I am appalled at the number, at the statistics of the number of women, young girls, who are victims of sex abuse. Some of you think that the Bible never talks about that. I need you to understand that God killed a man for abusing a woman. God cares. He understands the hurt. Some of you need to reach out to others around you who are are victims and need encouragement. You need to be a safe place so that someone who is a victim of sex abuse can come to you 
and tell you what's going on and find help, find healing, and find protection. I want you to understand this. Onan caused her to feel shame, but the guilt, the real guilt, was his. Please understand, what Tamar is remembered for is not her bad marriage. What Tamar is remembered for is not the fact that she was a victim of sex abuse. God gave her a great future. Your abuse does not define you. And do not presume, dear friend, that it will determine your future. Help is available. Reach out. Get help. And God can give you He can redeem your sorry situation and give you a brilliant future. By the way, if you have been a victim of sex abuse, young lady, may I encourage you to get the Bible study by Beth Moore, Breaking Free. It is specifically written by someone who was was sexually abused for those who are victims of sex abuse. I've used it in counseling. It's a great tool I would encourage you to get that Bible study. I want you to notice not only the grief of a bad marriage and the shame of sexual abuse, but also the devastation of being abandoned. Now, in verse 11 it says, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up feared that he would die like his brothers, so Tamar went and remained in her father's house. You need to understand this was pure deception. Judah was afraid. It says he feared that his youngest son would die just like Ur and Onan. And so he promised that he would give the young man to Tamar when he grew up, when he was old enough. He never did. He never intended to. Some of you have been deceived by your husbands, by your fathers, by your brothers. Some of you have been deceived by your mothers, by your wives. Some of you have been lied to continually. And you know the devastation of being deceived and continually lied to. A liar always lies. How do you learn to trust someone who is always deceptive? It is devastating. It can be devastating to your life. It can be devastating to your marriage. Understand the devastation of being discarded. She went and remained in her father's house. You need to understand that that went on for years. When Sheila grew up, now I don't know how old he was when all this began, but when at some point it says that after a period of time, that indicates a long period of time, she saw that Sheila was grown up, Sheila, and was grown up, and that he was not given to her, 
to wed. She lived discarded, cast away, deceived. You ever felt that way? It occurred to me when I was reading this, not only have people been deceived and have had to deal with that, but I thought about the victim of a, a marital affair where your wife or your husband has cheated on you and you feel totally abandoned. You feel worthless. You feel discarded. I recognize that victims of divorce, your spouse left you and you feel abandoned. You feel discarded and you feel worthless. Perhaps you more than anyone else would understand what Tamar was feeling at that moment. I thought about the widows in my church. Some young widows, some a little older, and yet the devastation of being left behind. It's not even unusual for a widow or a widower to feel cheated by their mate because they died. Not like they chose to die, but nevertheless, the feeling is there and you feel discarded. Understand, victims like that know how Tamar felt. But I would say to you, remember, God never abandoned her. God did not leave her in the situation. God in His providence worked in her life in an amazing way and gave her a lasting legacy. You may feel today that you have been abandoned, that you've been discarded. Someone has made you feel worthless. My friend, understand you are not worthless in the sight of God. He loves you, He values you, and He has a plan for your future. You can trust God. Turn to Him in faith and trust God. Then I want you to notice in the story her reaction of courage. Now, I, I thought about, I, I really had intended at this point to tell the story, to narrate the story of Tamar, and I realized I would, I would take twice as long as just reading it because I would elaborate and dramatize the story. I would not act it out. There is a difference in dramatization and acting it out, okay? Now, this is not one of those stories you act out. So, Kelly, I'll just read it. Genesis 38, verses 12 through 19 says, Time passed. Judah's wife, Shua's daughter, died. When the time of mourning was over, Judah with his friend Hira the Ad of Adullam went to Timnah for the sheep shearing. Tamar was told, Your father-in-law has gone to Timnar to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's clothes. Did you notice that? Circle that in your Bible if you write in your Bible. All these years, Betty, she's been in widow's clothes the whole time. Can you imagine that? You see why I talk about the, this, the devastation of being discarded for all these years, Sarah. She's, she's been in widow's clothes. Told you I'd take too long to read this. Anyway. She put on a veil to disguise herself and sat at the entrance of Enam which is on the road to Timnah. 
She realized by now that even though Shelah was grown up, she wasn't going to be married to him. Judah saw her and assumed that she was a prostitute. Now hang on, I need to speak up for Tamar in this. The Bible does not say, Kim, that she put on a veil to look like a prostitute to seduce him. Her intent was to disguise herself. She didn't dress like a prostitute. She hid her face because she knew that if he recognized her, he would walk to the other side of the road and avoid her like the plague, just as he had done for years. She did not call out to him and say, Would you like to sleep with me? He accosted her. He presumed she was a prostitute. He didn't recognize her. And so she said, Let me sleep with you. He had no idea she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you pay me? I really believe that Tamar went out, just Benjamin looking for an occasion to accost him, uh, so to speak, face to face, even though her face was disguised. She just wanted to meet him in the road, Rodney, and confront him. But she saw when he propositioned her. Now let me explain the culture. I've already said he, the son, the brother is supposed to take the place of his dead brother and marry the woman. That has not taken place. She's been cheated of her rights. And she sees an opportunity at this moment that if the brother's not going to be given to me and the father is offering his service, then I will take him. Uh, I don't recommend that, young ladies, or father-in-laws. But understand the culture of the time. If she did not have a child in that culture, she was worthless, she was nothing, and she had been cheated of her rights. Please understand the culture before you judge her. What will you pay me? I'll send you, he said, a kid goat from the flock. She was not interested in a goat. She was not interested in pay. She said, not unless you give me a pledge until you send it. You do understand that she's setting a trap at that moment for this liar, this scoundrel, this deceiver. So what would you want in the way of a pledge, she said. Uh, a pledge, he said. She said, your personal seal and cord and the staff you carry. That is really going to come into play later. It's going to be important. He handed them over to her and slept with her, and she got pregnant. She then left and went home. She removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Now, I need you to understand everything that I just said to you. I want to review. She didn't call on him, out to him. He approached her. He didn't recognize her. She conceived after only one experience with him, and she conceived twins. This is a bold plan. 
But understand, all of us, even today, are in a desperate search for significance and a lasting legacy. She was nothing without that child, and she was desperate to claim her rights under the law of that time. And she took the courage to confront an older man under whom she was supposed to be subject and submissive, and she confronted him to claim her rights. There is a lesson in this. Promiscuity and infidelity are sins. If you have given up your purity before marriage, I hate that for you, but life's not over. You don't have to wear a widow's clothes or a scarlet letter the rest of your lives. There is forgiveness and there is cleansing with God. I want you to also remember that she never lay with Him again. Even if you've been promiscuous, even though there's been infidelity, if that's the case, it's not the unforgivable sin, and you can commit to living a chaste and pure life from this point on. Turn to God. Find forgiveness. Find cleansing from Him. Well, I, I want you to also notice in this, and I've hinted at it already, the example of the providence of God. I, I want you to notice that in that example of providence, I've already said, she didn't call out to Him, He called out to her. That's the providence of God. Notice that he didn't recognize her. Can you imagine that? His own daughter-in-law. Well, he sent her away for years. Hasn't seen her in six forevers. That's the way he would say it in Alabama. Hadn't seen her in six forevers. He didn't recognize her. Uh, maybe God just blinded his eyes. Maybe the veil was sufficient. Maybe God blinded his eyes. Notice that she conceived after only one experience. We've got some young married couples in our church right now who would consider that a tremendous blessing. You pray for them. We've got some young couples who are trying to conceive. And it, it, it would amaze them to see that they had intercourse one time and she was pregnant. That's the providence of God giving her her rights to a child. And then notice, I've already said it in, in verse uh, 27, you know, that God gave her twins. And don't forget, by the way, that she, her lineage is a lineage not only of kings, but the King of kings, Jesus Christ. That's the providence of God. In a million ways, my friend, God is working in your life right now to bring about His will. Submit to His will. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your way.
your paths. Then finally, Tamar's story of justification is a declaration of justification. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. The deceiver always tries to deceive. This is Judah's way of getting out. I mean, he's relieved. By the way, the fact she was immoral if she had lain with a man who was not her brother or a part of the family, that would have been sex outside of the marriage, outside of the family. And the, and the penalty was stoning. It was not being burned. By the way, somebody said, the burner is about to be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to the father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. Please identify who these are. The signet, the cord, and the staff. Brilliant. Brilliant. She was bold enough in the moment that she was threatened by a horrible death to confront her deceiver. And he was smart enough to confess his guilt. Then Judah identified. Get this, don't ever forget this sentence. When somebody, I heard a preacher, young preacher, I, I guess that should say enough, young preacher who called the four women named in Matthew chapter 1, he called them all, do I dare say this from the pulpit? Whores. If you believe that, you need to listen to this series of sermons this month. Judah said, she is more righteous than I. I need you to understand something about that declaration. He's not saying that what she did was right, but it was more right than what he did. She's more justified and she's more just and she's more righteous than I am. That is an admission, but it's also a declaration. Listen very carefully so that you understand the culture of that day. This is the time of the patriarchs. It's before the law of Moses. And what the patriarch declares is law. When he declared her righteous, that wiped away the death penalty that he had already required. And from that day forward, there was no guilt, there was no shame, and there was no punishment for what she had done. And when somebody in Matthew chapter 1 tries to defame her character, you tell them to go back to Genesis 38 and hear what the patriarch declared. She is just, and she is righteous. By the way, and he did not know her again. He did what was right from that point on, and so did she. 
He didn't say what she did was right. He said she was more right than him, and he declared her guiltless, and with that declaration saved her life. Tamar is one of the four shady ladies listed in the lineage of Jesus. All four of them teach us of the grace of God and that He can use damaged goods to His glory. Think about that declaration of justification. Understand, friend, regardless of your past, Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, can wash you clean, spotless, and declare you righteous. You remember what I said? Not only did that that declaration by Judah save her life, it, it absolved her of any guilt, of any accusation, and declared her right with the world and with God. If you'll come to Jesus, confess Him as Lord and Savior, He'll do the same thing for you. He will wash you of every sin, and He will de- declare you just. Somebody has said justification means just as if I had never sinned. That's available in Christ. Regardless of your past, regardless of your reputation, if you will confess Him as Lord and Savior, come to Him in repentance and faith, you can find cleansing, you can find justification. And He can give you a lineage, and a legacy that will be to His praise and His honor. Even if you're a shady lady or a shady guy, you can come to Jesus and find a new life in Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Will you come to Him now? I'm going to pray for you. And I pray that you will pray that prayer. If you've never come to Christ, come to Him now. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, how practical it is. Lord, help us to properly interpret and understand Scripture and help us to see how it applies to us. I pray for the one who today may be in a bad marriage, in a a marriage of anger and hatred, fighting. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the husband and the wife. I pray for the victim of sexual abuse, and especially those who are in the midst of that abuse now. I pray that they would be bold enough to come to you and to go to others for help. And Lord, that you would deliver them from the abuser. I pray for those who feel discarded and worthless, maybe because their husband or wife has cheated on them and they feel thrown away of, of, of no worth. Maybe it's because they're a victim of divorce and they feel totally abandoned and alone. Maybe it's because their spouse has died and they feel totally abandoned and that no one any longer cares. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts 
and you would comfort. Lord, help them to know your presence and that they are not alone. And I pray that you would send help and friends and counselors, shepherds to them. And I pray for the lost, those who've never been saved, that they would come to you courageously and yet humbly, willing to come, willing to confess, seeking your forgiveness, seeking salvation. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.